Hello, my name is Desmond Lynch. I'm 24 years old and I want to be a filmmaker. I made a podcast called The Witch in the Orchard and I'd like to tell you about it. Because this project is so massive in scope, I decided instead of my usual how I made it audio commentaries, that I would instead break it up into separate episodes. Each episode detailing everything I did for each stage of production. I will also include interviews with people involved in the project, so keep an eye out for that. Anyway, let's begin. How I made The Witch in the Orchard. Development. I started off with a short story that I had wrote as part of a creative writing course that I took online. It was basically the opening of a book. You had to set the location, the tone, have a hook, a character, stuff like that. I liked the title of The Orchard and I was playing The Witcher 3 and reading The Witcher books. I really liked the tone of those stories and that influenced what I wrote. The opening is pretty much the same to how it is in episode 1. However, in the very first draft, the protagonist was a man. It was a similar aesthetic, you know, brown duster, facial scars, hat, face covered, that type of thing. However, that type of character archetype is just very generic and I was a little concerned about originality, but I liked the aesthetic so I thought why not switch it to a woman. Because in comparison there's not as many female characters that look like that, especially with the facial scars. So changing the gender was an interesting thing because that raised questions as to why she dressed like this, how did she get hurt, where did she get her scars? That was answered quickly by she was burned, which quickly evolved into she was burned at the stake, which evolved into she's a witch. And it just snowballed and what started out as a very generic template became one of the most three-dimensional complex characters I've ever written. With the story came a name, Henry called there, both of which I thought I'd made up, but it turns out they're actual names, same as Frankfurt, so I had an idea of characters, had a rough outline of the plot, more scenes than anything, and I just started writing a short on and off. It ended up being a 30-page short story. I made three drafts of said short story. Main changes were characters like Logslayle, for instance, who originally was a zealot. I thought it was more interesting he instead be a charlatan, kind of an influence from Chaucer. There were some changes made when it was a adapt to screenplay format. Originally, I wanted to make an hour and a half long podcast, but writing it piercing wise, it just didn't pace well at all. So I had to break it up into three episodes. That changed things a little. For example, I had to add the ending to episode one, which later turned out to be what I considered the best scene in that episode, maybe even the series itself. I tried to round out each episode so that I had a satisfying ending. Episode one obviously ends with the deaths of two villagers. That's creepy and disturbing. And also, establishes Logsdale as a collaborator which adds tension to his scenes in episode 2. Episode 2 of course ends with the reveal of Kaya's pregnancy. That's a big twist that sets up episode 3 where all hell breaks loose. The ending for episode 3 is just very sad, very reminiscent to The Witcher. Any happy ending is bittersweet and it gets worse if you stay around. With this story, I wanted to make sure the primary characters had a decent arc. While Henrika grows more embittered, her relationship with Lorcan helps her evolve. She learns to not put money above her own personal ethics. She learns to open up, trust, and develop relationships, which allows her to later take on an apprentice in Syella. Lorcan starts out cowardly and mild-mannered, but grows braver, more confident, but of course his story ends tragically. I wanted to give a real gut punch as well. Frankfurt gets his comeuppance. He starts out as a very bad person, later revealing his emotional manic state and later just falls to pieces as everything he values is destroyed because of his own doing. Only characters that 
didn't really have an arc was Joseph, who contrasts Henrico with their positions on class. Joseph doesn't budge whatsoever, despite the scandal that unfolds, and in doing so, he ends up alone because of his principles. Loxley was a shallow villain, driven by superficial motives like greed and fame. He has no real arc other than his own downfall, as was intended. The Pale Girl appears briefly, but acts as the supernatural threat, so you have three villains. There's the supernatural villain, the actual curse that plagues the valley, which is represented by the Pale Girl. There's the secondary villain with Loxlale, who simultaneously acts as an oppressor to Henrika, establishing the religious zealotry and bigoted views present in this world, while also being an accomplice to the supernatural threat. So he's both a supernatural and a real-world threat. Then you have Frankfurt, who is the primary antagonist that has caused all the other villains to rise up and also challenges Henrika ethically. He basically forces her to go against her codes, her ethics, her beliefs. He's an institutional threat, so while she can fight the Pale Girl with magic and fight Loxlale with brute force, she can only fight Frankfurt with her wits, and she loses. I don't think any of that could have been portrayed as effectively if it had it all been crushed into one big podcast movie. The pacing is adjusted and allows for the tension and the mystery to breathe. Episode 1 being the pilot essentially introduces the main cast, establishes the vibe and the tone. You get two different threats to the witch. You have the real world threat with the angry mob and the supernatural threat with the orchard trees. With these type of action scenes, I always wanted to make sure that the violence has a price, it affects the plot in some way. The riot results in a woman getting killed, which in turn traumatizes Henrika, Joseph, and Lorcan, the result of which sours Henrika and Lorcan's relationship. The attack by the tree results in Henrika receiving a physical injury that affects her throughout the rest of the series. So the action scenes aren't there to like break up dialogue sequences or anything like that. The violence here has a cost and it has a price and it does have an effect on the character's interpersonal relationships alongside their actual physical state and how they move about throughout the rest of the story. Episode 1 explains the plot and establishes the players. The characters are dark, the world is miserable, and the violence is intense and costly. Episode 2 furthers the plot, adds the mystery element, fleshes out Henrika as a character. Before, she's presented as very cold and angry, but as we see more of her, she's more fleshed out, she's a bit more empathetic, and when she's treated with respect, she can be very polite and reasonable. In episode 3, we get further development on Henrika and Lorcan's relationship, brought about by Frankfurt's big reveal. There's a lot of conflict in this episode. Starts off with Henrika and Joseph's conflict, this very on-the-nose argument about class, dignity, and respect. That bleeds into the conflict between Henrika and Frankfurt, where the mystery is solved with Henrika's accusation and Frankfurt's confession, which in turn spirals into this failed attempt at blackmail, which transitions into Frankfurt's idea on how to remove the curse, a virgin sacrifice. That, of course, bleeds into Henrika's internal conflict, her decision of whether or not she should kill Lorcan for her own financial gain and survival. Personally, I think that is one of the most interesting conflicts of the episode. At this point, if I've done my job right, the audience will have grown rather fond or at least sympathetic of Lorcan and Henrika. The witch, of course, is an anti-hero presented so from the start. She kind of wavers between likability, so with this conflict, there's a tension as she's not just going to kill Lorcan, but she condemns her soul, she betrays her principles, and in doing so, Frankfurt wins. That conflict is drawn out in two scenes. Scene 4, we get one of my favourite Henrika moments, in which she scolds a crowd for thinking so poorly of her, with what I call the 
I ain't shit but neither are you monologue kind of expresses Henrika's anger at the world alongside her own self-loathing. I thought it was really poignant, especially when this is the last thing she says to the villagers. Of course, Henrika can't bring herself to do it, despite Lorcan's eagerness, which completes his arc of being shy and cowardly to confident and brave. We then get the final big conflict of the episode with the Pale Girl and the River of Blood. This one's the big action sequence, which results in the destruction of the orchard and Henrika's sacrifice. Henrika's sacrifice works because, while it's never said explicitly, Henrika is a virgin and by taking place of Lorcan, she effectively removes the curse from the land with the blood magic. It's not addressed explicitly because it's an awkward thing to address, especially if you can imagine a teenager asking why the sacrifice worked. You can't really turn around and say, well, I, this middle-aged woman, am an adult virgin. That just doesn't make sense for that conversation to happen, so Henrika lies to save an awkward scene. We get a few farewells to some characters. We see Loxlow, a shell of his former self. We see Lorcan in scene 7, at the time being on the men with the rest of his life to look forward to. In the following scene 8, we get a very passive-aggressive goodbye to Joseph, who basically in his last scene verbally throws some dirt in Henrika's eye. And of course, we get Frankfurt, who has lost everything and he has no one to blame but himself. We get a very bittersweet ending, as while Frankfurt and Loxlow do get punished after the peasant uprising, the entire village is destroyed by the Empire and later used as a settlement for an invading army of mutants. The ending is very heavily influenced by the Witcher books. You'd often get time jumps between chapters and stuff like that, showing what happens to a place or what happens to characters and stuff like that. So we get to see Henrika and Syla as they're making their way through this war-torn hellscape. We get to see some mutant characters such as the shopkeeper, also known as the Crabman. Finally, we get the reveal of the true fate of Lorcan, who grew up, survived the destruction of Harrowsburg, but was captured by the invaders and is now basically a mind-washed foot soldier. The ending kind of shows the vibe of the world. It's very dark and dreary, and when good things happen, they don't last for long. With writing, it's important there's a bunch of stuff that has been established, namely, the characters all need some development, even if they're minor. They need to feel real, or at the very least, that they belong in this type of story. So, like a character like Ted Lasso, for instance, although a great character just doesn't belong in a story quite like this one. In a similar sense, actions have to have meaning. I made sure that people's actions reflect their characters and that they're consistent with their personalities and are justified in the context of the scene. So take the opening of episode one, for instance. You're introduced to Henrika, this really damaged-looking character, and her first word of dialogue is a threat to Lorcan. Lorcan's actions reflect his character as he's initially afraid of Henrika and is a shy, anxious boy. We're immediately introduced to Joseph, one of the few people in Harrowsboro that isn't afraid of Henrika. First thing he does is bark an order, no pleasantries whatsoever. This establishes his sense of authority, this domineering personality that walks around like he's better than everyone. But when Henrika embarrasses him in front of the Lord, he immediately crumples into the sniveling sycophant. Henrika, being who she is, immediately starts talking shit to all the new people she's meeting. We get a glimpse at her wit, where in the minutes before she has to meet the Lord, she already deduces quite a lot about his character, namely that he's an insecure opportunist who's hit a rough patch. The thing about Henrika, of course, is that because everyone is open in their contempt for her, she doesn't have to play by the rules of normal social etiquette. She's very blunt, very snarky, and in doing so, she forces everyone around her to be so as well. Which is why Frankfurt openly admits to disliking her and being ashamed that he had a scent for her in the first place. All of which would have been an implication for a normal character, but Henrika insists on making a scene wherever she goes. 
Franklin's motives are transparent from the get-go, from Henrika's deductions and Joseph's information. There's already an idea that he's this desperate opportunist clinging onto whatever title he can get his hands on, the severity of which is later shown by Frankfurt's insistence on focusing solely on the orchard rather than the missing children. He prioritizes himself and his land above all else. The dialogue is a bit wordy, but that was by design. Henrika is this road-weary academic who, who talks to nobody but herself for days on end, so of course she'd speak in this word jargon. Frankfurt and Joseph are well-educated, so they can trade barbs and keep up with her, but the language of the lower-class characters such as Lorcan, Locksdale, and others are a bit more simplistic due to their lack of education. Like actions, the dialogue is crafted in such a way to reflect the characters, the plot and the tone of the story. Everyone is responding to each other, everyone is listening, everything bleeds into the next piece, nothing is there that shouldn't be there. In regards to tone, I made a point of not using what I'd refer to as Class A swear words. There's a few Class B words such as bastard, bitch and whore, but everything else is Class C or lower. I did this because I wanted a sense of classiness to the story akin to a Jane Austen novel, a very messed up Jane Austen novel, but a Jane Austen novel nonetheless. Narration was a necessary aspect of the narrative. I'm not much of a prose writer, but I felt for character descriptions and actions such as the riot and the river of blood scenes, that couldn't be told purely by sound effects alone, and it would just sound bad if it was clarified in dialogue, like, oh no, there's a big river of blood and it's acidic and it's devouring the orchard. Like, no one would say that. So so there had to be narration. One of the biggest influences on the series was this radio adaptation of the Lord of the Rings trilogy that the BBC made back in the 1980s. You can find it all online and while the acting and sound design is very good, there is no narration. There's no description of what a Balrog looks like, no descriptions of the battles or fights. When shit goes down, it's just a bunch of grunts and clangs, it's just noise. If this was your only exposure to the Lord of the Rings, you'd be confused as hell and may even find it lackluster. Narration was awkward to write. I like screenplays as their brief dialogue focus. With prose and descriptions, I just got bored way too quickly. It is a chore to write, but it had to be done nonetheless. Prose alongside the rest of the short story had to be adapted into a script format, essentially moving from a Word document to a screenplay writing program that's called Fade In that I use. It's a very handy service and it's free, so check it out if you're interested in that type of thing. Prose had to be adapted to narration in the same sense that dialogue had to be written in such a way that it sounds like an actual conversation. Prose had to be written to ensure they were clear and easy enough to read. A bit of a frustrating process, but we made it. I only made three drafts of each script. It's a rule in my head that once it reaches the third draft, that's it finished. It'd be imperfect, but if I kept rewriting it, it'll never get done. You can learn more from a mistake than an accomplishment. The writing process took me about a year. I was writing The Orchard on and off. Once the short story was finished, the adaptation into screenplay format took about two weeks, and with that marked the end of the writing process. With that, I was finished with development, I had the money, and now it was time to move on to pre-production. I'll go into detail on pre-production on the next episode. Until then, thank you all for listening and goodbye.